From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 497 for January 29th, 2024. Today's show is brought to you by Notion and Udi Pizza Ovens. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are we so close to Upgrade 500? I know. I have a little task, which is like, check the 500 draft. Yeah, really. Doing that soon. Wild. I have a snow talk question for you, Jason. Comes from Eli, last name withheld, who says, Jason, mm-hmm. did you enjoy the flop house live on Friday? I hope I wasn't too much of an overbearing fan of upgrade. No, Eli was very nice. I did very much enjoy the flop house live on Friday. It turned out, although Eli did and his wife chatted with me and uh, my wife uh, briefly, then um, then Merlin and his kid sat down at their table. <laughs> And then we didn't speak to them again because they just talked to Merlin and Merlin's kid after that. So that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Did you speak to, did you see Merlin? I gave a little hug to Merlin. Yeah. I mean, he saw me, he spotted me and because, because I think Eli said, oh, you know, we were just talking to Jason and then our eyes locked across, you know, two tables and he came over and gave me a hug and and we, we chatted a couple of times and made jokes about John Syracuse, you know, as you do, as you do, as you do. (laughs) Basically when any of us get together, (laughs) there's always jokes about John. Well, you gotta. Can you, know, you believe, you... by the way, can you believe the Mac Pro? I just like, I feel like I can't believe from last That John episode. picked the, the current Mac Pro as, yes. the, as the Hall of Shame? Yes. I just, I can't, I can't accept I it. Can I, be- I can believe it no. because it's John. No, no. I just, I can't. Uh, I don't I'll put a link it. in the show notes to one of our video clips. Uh, so you can see my reaction uh, for when, for, for John's, mm-hmm. John's pick. Because you it's, were not happy. No, I wasn't happy. Did the two happy. times people flipped off the camera make it into the video version? Do we know that? I don't know if that happened or not. I don't. I don't know. What there were two you... times when people got sniped for picks and uh-huh. draft and and, and gave the finger to the the picking person. Anyway, I was a little behind the scenes about. Wow, that, look that at draft. you now throwing it out there. If you would like to send in a snow talk question of your own to help us uh, open a future episode of Upgrade, just go to upgradefeedback.com and send it in. We were talking a little bit about the 40th anniversary of the Mac draft just there. That's what we were referring to. Jason spoke about the video. Uh, This is, I think, the best video episode of the show so far. So certainly if you've been one, you know, maybe you want to see what it's like. Maybe you want to see what a video version of the show was like. Um, Wonderful video editor Chip did a great job with this episode. Absolutely. Uh, But we have video of every participant in the draft. And so uh, people people can go and check that out. I'll say I also just wanted to thank so many upgradians who said so many nice things about that episode um Mm -hmm. it was i was terrified about that episode (laughs) i didn't think it was going to work i thought it was too many people and i was worried that it wasn't going to work but as we were doing it i was like oh this is working and so jason you were right to to push for that episode it was a good idea from you like i said it's uh the one the funny thing i also heard from some people who don't know what a draft is and i had to explain what sports drafts are oh okay you pick, you pick, and and then once somebody picks it, nobody else can pick it, and you t- pick in sequence. They clearly don't listen to upgrade these people. Yeah, well, or they just don't understand. It may be that they they were new uh, listeners to upgrade, which is great. We welcome. we welcome them. But um, so I had to explain that to a few people. But one I've learned in the incomparables many drafts that we've done over the years is that while I am deeply reluctant to have a large panel on a regular episode. Our panels are large enough as it is, right? But uh, for a draft episode, I'll put 10 people on. I don't care. Because 
although people do chime in and all that, the fact that it's a turn-taking format makes it a lot easier. It's more manageable. It's not perfect. It is hard, but it's more manageable. And so we had a small, smaller group than an incomparable draft. And I know it was a lot and terrifying to you, but um, I thought it would work because of the turn-taking. And it did. So, yeah. Yeah, it came it came up really well. And if you do want more on the 40th anniversary of the Mac, Jason wrote a bunch of stuff on The Verge and on Six Colors. I'll put mm-hmm. links to all that in the show notes. I was actually hoping we could talk about some of this today, but we got some There's other stuff that we need to cover. Other stuff to talk about. But yeah, I, I mean, we, we also gave did a long episode about the 40th anniversary of the Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this podcast has fulfilled its... It's neat. But yeah, I wrote 1,500 words or whatever about it at The Verge. Always nice to see an article I've written at the top of The Verge. That's fun. Yep. And then I wrote another 1,500 words or so at Six Colors about it. Um, and then I have a piece where I talk to uh, Greg Joswiak a little bit, just very briefly about it, because that's what I seem to do every 10 years is check in with Apple executives about where they reassure me that the Mac is not going away. <laughs> that's a trend I've discovered in, in, in how I apparently live my life. So, yeah. Uh, one last piece of follow-up here. Apple has not been successful in winning the many appeals that they've been going through with the Apple Watch and the blood oxygen sensor. Um, and so it now has decided to continue selling both the Apple Watch Series 9 and the Apple Watch Ultra 2 with the blood, o- blood oxygen sensor disabled. That's what they're doing. So they've just disabled it. It doesn't work. Uh, it's still in there, I believe, but it's not not happening and they're going to continue down the lawmaking process and the legal process here which i find the whole thing to be very strange but there you go if you're in the u.s and you want to and you and you don't have an apple watch and you want one well that feature is not going to work for you um and that's that's the way it is i uh have some breaking okay follow-up okay I'm going to put it here. Is it follow-up? I don't know, but I'm going to put it here because we have so much to talk about today. I'm just going to say, we do this podcast on Zoom. Yep. Breaking just now, Zoom has announced they are doing a Vision OS app. It will support personas, and it will support a spatial experience to make meetings immersive. So will there be a immersive version of Upgrade in Zoom on a Vision Pro at some point? Only time will tell, but this makes so. it, I'd say, a little more likely. Huh. Yeah. So it, I'm reading from The Verge. Uh, Zoom says it's planning on bringing more features to the app later this spring, including something called real-world pinning. This is supposed to make calls feel more immersive by letting Vision Pro users pin up to five Zoom meeting participants in a physical space while removing the caller's background. Hmm. Yeah. Well, huh. they have some weird. they have some weird tech in Zoom now where you can like have a it's like a fake meeting room and it'll cut out the people's uh just their body not the background and like place them in that space yeah so it's kind of they're already experimenting with stuff like this so i imagine there's going to be more of that going on but um i don't know just it seems like people are starting to announce their vision pro apps right what i'm saying i i uh like uh yeah this is all this is all starting to happen. I have multiple app announcements in my mailbox. Right? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Notion. There is no shortage of helpful AI tools available today. 
But using them means switching back and forth and from one tool to another tool, from this tool to that tool, copy, paste, like you're just, you're kind of like running a little like gauntlet over here. So instead of simplifying your workflow, these tools just make everything more complicated. That is, unless you're in Notion. Notion combines your notes, your documents, and projects into one space that's simple and beautifully designed. And you can save time and write faster by letting Notion AI handle the first draft for you. You can jumpstart a brainstorm or turn your messy notes into something more polished. You can even automate tedious tasks like summarizing meeting notes or finding next steps. Notion AI does all of this and more while freeing you up to do the deep work. My favorite thing to do in Notion AI, I will write out uh, like a blog post or uh, email that I want to send out. And I ask Notion AI, hey, can you, it's a very simple prompt. I just say, can you improve the grammar, but keep my style? And it goes, boom, and then the whole thing. I've got like an entire copy of my email rewritten for me by Notion AI. I can then go in and tweak what I want to, but it, I get all of, I get it tightened up. And that's what I really like. And I love that it's all there. I don't have to go somewhere else. It doesn't replace what I've written. It just helps add to my work and help make it better. Does it make that noise? Does it go dip? No, that's me. I do that part. Uh, you do that Notion, when you If you run want it. that sound, that's for you. You're free to have that if okay. you want that. Notion can have that. The fully integrated Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger, doing tasks that normally take you hours and just seconds. Notion is used by over half of Fortune or the Fortune 500 companies and teams that use Notion. They end up sending less email. They cancel more meetings because they don't need them. They save their time searching for their work simply. They reduce spending on the many tools they may need. This helps also keep everyone on the same page. Notion really is an awesome tool. Try it out for free by going to notion.com slash upgrade. That is N-O-T-I-O-N.com slash upgrade to try the powerful, easy-to-use Notion AI today. And when you go there, you're also helping support the show. That is notion.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Notion for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. My plan for today's episode is we were going we to, like, we're going to do some rumor roundup stuff because yep. we've been carrying some things over. Um, B-tails. Yeah, some B-tails we could have done. And then mm -hmm. also I wanted to talk about the Vision Pro. We are still going to talk about the Vision Pro today because we are just a few days away. But then uh, over the last, over, was it last Thursday, I think it was? Yeah, mm -hmm. big week. Apple published their response and their kind of plan for how they're going to deal with the European Union's Digital Markets Act, the DMA. And inherently, they have upended tons of what the App Store and what iOS could be to... They have proposed a series of upendings to this for their plan for how they will work within the European Union's new rules, guidelines. So I'm going to give a disclaimer to this. All of this stuff that we're about to talk about is incredibly complicated we have both worked for hours to try and understand this the best <laughs> we can, but it is going to take longer than today's episode to fully comprehend it. So for sure, I expect you will hear us say things today that may be wrong or may be misunderstood. I have already listened to many podcasts with many of my favorite creators who are doing that too, right? Like they're saying something and I'm like, I know that's wrong, and but this is just where we are right now because the complication of this is kind of massive. So what I am going to try and attempt to do here is to go through 
the salient points of Apple's response to the DMA, and then we're going to talk about them. And Jason, I'm just going to read. I'm going to start reading this stuff. You can jump in wherever you want, but other than that, we're going to have like a big conversation about it at the end. But I feel like we have to kind of try and set the table for this because I also know a lot of our inter- uh, listeners are interested in this, but don't want to spend the three hours reading it. So Indeed. that is the le- that is like the, the what we provide you today. So mm-hmm. Apple is making a series of changes to iOS and the available terms for developers who distribute their apps in Europe. The changes to iOS, they're more simple. So there'll be the introduction of alternative app marketplaces. These are other app stores, third-party app stores, but Apple doesn't call them that, I think because app stores is a term that Apple owns, and so they don't want, that's their intellectual property. So they will be called alternative app marketplaces. As a communicator of technology, I like that it has a different name because it's easier for me to shorthand it. Effectively, what users can do, they can install them. They can in, So you install them from the app store, I believe, or from websites, I think. Uh, I mean from websites. Right, from websites. You can install the marketplaces. Then you can install apps from those marketplaces. And even as a user, set one of them as your default marketplace for applications. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, but you can. Yes. Any apps downloaded from a marketplace do not have things like screen time restrictions applied to them, which yeah, I like do shared think, yeah. family things and other, there are other like app store niceties. That, oh, well, I mean that stuff's obvious, right? Like the yeah. stuff that the app store, which by the way, Apple's talking about refunds. Has anyone ever successfully gotten a refund yeah. from the oh, app? Oh, it does happen. I, but it's Just really, I know it's possible, but it's very it. hard to do, right? There isn't like yeah. a process for getting refunds. You have to like mm. speak to Apple Complain. support and then sometimes mm. I help you. Although actually in Europe, there is a different law, but nevertheless. I think the most important thing about this, um, mm-hmm. this is there is a line in the DMA that is that, uh, that, Companies like Apple that are found to be um, gatekeepers have to allow sideloading or alternative mar- marketplaces. And Apple has taken the or and run with it. And I got to be honest, I hate this. And I think this is why Apple's doing it. So Apple could have fulfilled the DMA by saying, okay, we're not going to let anybody create their own app store, but you can go through a process, which we'll talk about. There is a process for apps to be outside of the app store, but but you just go to their website and you click and you go through the process and you get the app. And Apple has said, nope, we're not going to do it that way. And I understand Apple's perspective here being um, by concentrating availability in alternative marketplaces, there's a little more visibility, understanding, and honestly, there's a company that has to be responsible for posting that app instead of it just being willy-nilly. Some some company with an alternative marketplace has to say, yes, we are going to put your app in our um, marketplace that's not an app store. Don't call it an app store. But what it means essentially, and so I think Apple is making a smart for Apple move because Apple's goal here is to make it as unpleasant as possible to get outside of Apple uh, Apple's restrictions. Yep. We're going to see this time and again. But the the no side loading because it's not there's no side loading. There's alternate loading through someone else's store. And we're going to get into some of the details of what you have to do to become a marketplace. And in addition, then apps 
that would be in that marketplace have to go through a whole other process. Yeah. So it's extra complicated and not like what it is on the Mac and how you mu- they could have implemented it but have chosen not to, which is I'm a developer. I ha- like I um I I wrote about this last week on Six Colors. There's a great uh, iTunes or it's music. Sorry, the music app for Mac. There's an a utility for it called Sleeve that does like a little floating palette of uh of the currently playing album and it puts in shortcuts and it does scrobbling and it does all these things. It's a great little app. And if you go to their website, you'll see download on the Mac app store or just buy it from us. <laughs> and it's like, you can't do that with this. You can't do that with this. It could be downloaded on the app store or downloaded on XYZ uh, store, sorry, uh, 123 store. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, sorry, 123 marketplace. One, Let's two, get the terms right here. Yeah, get it right, Jason, please. 123 marketplace. Uh, but what they can't do is say, just get it from us. You can't. You you can't. Even with this freedom, in quotes, that's happening, you cannot sideload independently as a developer. You have to go to some gatekeeper. This is essentially the what what the way Apple has interpreted the DMA, and I think they've done it correctly as far as I can tell, for the words in the DMA, not necessarily the intent, but the words in it, is the solution to having one gatekeeper is to make more gatekeepers, which is, if I was an independent developer, or honestly as a user, I hate it. I understand yeah. why Apple's doing it, but it's like, but oh, as good. Well, like, if, you can kind of see a little bit, though, right? Because like, that breeds competition. Competition may breed different rights, and that may help some companies. But it's not simple. Right. It's not the simple move, it's but it's not. like it is a move that could at least change what there currently is, where Apple sets 100% of the rules. Sure. Right? Sure. No, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it doesn't address issues. I think what I'm saying is, I, you and I know enough developers that we know that one of the issues is the existence of a gatekeeper intermediating the relationship yeah. between the developer and the user. And the DMA, as implemented by Apple here, to the letter of the law, I think, is essentially saying gatekeepers are not the problem. In fact, they're still required. I just think that's hilarious because it's it's the first and I assure you in this segment, a long series of things where everybody goes, oh... Oh, yeah, <laughs> and it is disappointed. And I guess from the the iOS slash user side, another part about apps from marketplaces is let's imagine you have the Spotify app from the App Store. Spotify moved their app to a marketplace. You can't just download the Spotify app over the place of the existing Spotify app. You have to remove your your current Spotify app from your phone yes. and then download the new one. I see why that's the case, right? Like, well, that sounds annoying, but I also kind of like, from a technological perspective, understand why that might have to happen. Uh, even though I think there's probably, there could be ways around it, but they haven't got them. Anyway. Yeah. Staying on the, what is changing in iOS, uh, web browsers can use engines other than WebKit. So you'll be able to have a web browser on the iPhone that is Chromium, which I think used to be the case, and then it changed at a certain point. when I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And European users will be given an option to choose a default browser for their iPhone from a list of options on the first use. Yes, a randomized list of options, no less. And uh, there is a defined list of which browsers will be shown in each country. It actually differs country to country. Mm -hmm. Mac Stories has that list if if you're so inclined to want to know. Um, Apple will also use a new system 
to check if you're in the European Union. It, uh, so you can use the marketplaces and all this other stuff as a user. Uh, it features a combination of checking the billing address on your App Store account, the current location that you're in, the device that uh, the region your device is set into, and the class of device, because all of this only applies to the iPhone, the iPad, yes. the Mac, everything else does not get uh, the apps, the app marketplace stuff. Right. Um, and I guess one other thing, which is I just think really feels like categorically good, where everything else is a little murkier. Uh, worldwide now. Uh, Apple is going to be allowing game streaming services to exist on the App Store, which is fantastic. Right. But that's everywhere. That's not just in the EU. It's everywhere. So it's a different change that that Apple is making. So no longer do they need to split the games into individual apps, which Apple wanted them to do. Uh, this is just a thing that will exist. And so now Xbox Game Pass can have an app on the iPhone. And that's that, which I'm excited about that hopeful future. So that's the simple part, I think. <laughs> mm, that's the simple part. So that's like if you're a Europe, if you are a user in the European Union, these are the things that will become available for you. Asterisk sometime in March, right? So in seventeen point four, this kind of functionality will become available for you. Mm-hmm. If you are a developer, this is where it gets significantly more complicated. So. Everything that we're going to talk about here are part of new business terms that Apple has created. And as a developer, you have the opportunity, if you so want to, to opt into these new business terms. You can stay with the current system if you want to, which we know. We know everything about that system already. But you can opt into these terms if you want to. It changes the the agreement. It changes what is applicable to you. But if you opt in, it's a one-time thing. You cannot go back. And if you're asking yourself, why would they opt in? Well, there's we're going to get into the details. It's required that they opt in if they want to take advantage of specific new EU-only features, right? So you can't say, oh, here's a new freedom I have in the EU. I want that, but I want to keep the old business terms. That's not how it works. You either are in sort of like plan A, which is the way it's always been, including all the rules, or or at least most of the rules, or plan B, which is all these new openings, but you have to agree to these new terms as a developer. Yep. Top line, new commission. So what we consider is the 15 or 30% that we've had for a long time now has changed. Uh, It is either 10% for small developers, down from 15%, or 17% for everybody else if you're not in the small business program. Uh, This also counts for digital goods and services. These are at 17%. This is the base commission. If you use Apple's in-app payment system, you pay an extra 3% on top of this, making it 13% and 20%. uh, Right. Yeah. So um, if you do the math here, by the way, if you think of it as 13 and 20, so let's let's assume that you're doing your you're using Apple for payment processing because yep. you don't have to now. Let's not get into that just yet because yep. that that will probably also be roughly three percent mm-hmm. if you go with someone else. You'll be paying it to someone who is an Apple, but you're still paying it. Okay. So the small business program for companies that have less than a million dollars in sales a year, so indie developers and things like that, are already 15%. So this is not really much of a deal for them. If you are a larger developer and you're currently having Apple take 30% of everything you do, 20% 
including the credit card fee, is a much better deal. So on this one level, if you look at this, you can see that this change is not much of an incentive for a small developer. And there's more to come there. But that it does provide a bit of a financial incentive for some larger developers who want to take more money away from Apple. And I want to, this is something that we had this question in Discord just now, and I've confirmed, I've struggled to get the exact answer for this, but I think I understand it to be the case, which is developers all around the world can opt into this, but it just applies to your European Union-based business, right? So like, yes. you can be an American developer, but if, but then this will apply to the customers and money made in the European Union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I just wanted to just double check that. I thought that was the case, but that was something which I struggled to like 100% confirm. So I'm, I'm happy that you read it the same way. So we mentioned payment systems. As a developer, mm-hmm. you are now able to use your own payment system, either in-app or linking out to the web. You are still expected to pay the aforementioned 10 or 17% commission to Apple if you remain in the App Store. This is no longer, there is no longer a requirement to use Apple's in-app purchase if you opt to use your own. Right. You don't have to use Apple's system. You can use your own credit card system. Yep. And uh, if you're outside of the App Store, some different rules apply. But this is even if you're in the App Store, you can use your own payment system. You're still paying Apple this fee. So why do you do it? And the answer is you're not doing it to save money. And this is an important point because this comes up a lot when we're talking about this. Uh, I believe because in part, a lot of the developers that have been pushing for this talk a lot about freedom and competition, but what they really want is to make more money by not paying Apple as much money. And that's not the same. And so this is a case where you have freedom to use your own processor. You're still going to essentially be paying the same amount of money, including a portion to Apple. What it does give you is control of your credit card, uh, customer credit card data, which means that you could then, they're your customer. You could email them. You could track them. You could sell their information. You could do whatever, I mean, is allowed under the rules, but like you would own that transaction in a way that you don't when it goes through Apple. So there still might be a reason to do it, but it won't be a, in this one scenario where you're in the app store and you're using your own payment system, it's not actually going to save you money. But there are things about control and data Mm -hmm. and information that could be attractive to a business to do it this way. Could be. If you are in an app marketplace, those commissions, the 10 and 17%, you don't have to pay them. So if you are are not in the apps, these commissions, the 10 and 17 plus the payment 3%, these are only applicable if you as a developer choose to remain in the app store. If you decide you want to go out to an app marketplace, you are free of the commission. There is no more commission for you. From you Apple. Pay the, yeah, from Apple. You obviously, you're, because, you know, you're, you're doing because whatever I'm deals you're doing. Yeah. Anyone who's running an app marketplace is probably going to want their cut too. Yes. But we don't, look, we can assume this is the case, but these cuts could be much we fairer. They could be different. Sure. There might not be sure. any at all. Like, you know, what? because there knows? could be reasons that some companies want to have a marketplace of their own and they sure. just need more apps in it because they can't. you can't just have a marketplace of your own, which we'll get to in a minute as well. Right. But the core technology fee, I think this is the biggest part. It is maybe the so. most confusing and probably has the largest ramifications. 
The core technology fee, in essence, is like a license. It's essentially a per active user license of apps. It's per, it is, and, and there's been a lot of confusion about like, oh, it's per install, per update, all of these things. But the way it works is it's per Apple ID and it's one. And once it's one, that's it. So essentially, if you have an app and you update it uh, or download it during a 12-month a period, you're essentially considered an active user. But that's yep. all they're really tracking is that download, download or up, update for it. And Apple is then saying, okay, so now we know how many people are active annual users of your app. And you will pay us half a euro for each. Yep. I'm going to do it. I'm going to explain it again. Because again, very complicated, right? It is 50 cent fee for an individual. The threshold is calculated on a rolling 12-month basis. This is a fee for using iOS, essentially. Yeah, it's for being for access uh, to Apple's. It's the same argument that they've been making all along, which is it's access to ac Apple's platforms, to its intellectual property, to its developer tools, and to yep. its APIs. They feel that they are entitled to a payment that was previously embedded in the percentage they took from the App Store, and now they're going to take it a different way, which is by charging on active installs. Yep. So, for example, rough back of the envelope calculations. If you're Spotify and you have maybe 40 million iPhone users in the EU, uh, something like that, they would be paying Apple not 20 million euro, but uh, 19 and a half million because the first million is free. Yep. After that though, it's, it's 50 cents per user. And that yep. would be, even if they were a free user, Spotify would still need to pay 50 cents a year for that free user. Yep. Uh, it is inclusive of new downloads, it is inclusive of updates, but it's tied to the individual, as Jason said, right? The first million is included in your developer program fee. So you pay Apple to be a developer. As part of that payment, they give you the first one million downloads. That is whether you are in the app store or in an app marketplace. You only pay the core technology fee for over one million. So one million and one. And it's not like... Um, I remember with the small business program, basically once you got over a million dollars, I think you kind of lost it. It isn't that. So if you get to a million and one, you pay for one. You don't pay for a million and right. one. Right? The first yes. million is included as your fee for being a developer. So you only pay for what's on top. The way that Apple bills developers for this is even more complicated. It is billed monthly divided into twelfths. I have I felt like my brain was leaking out of my ears trying to understand this part. The the idea is you're not going to get a bill. So I said Spotify is going to get this bill for 19 and a half million euros, right? Um but they're not. They're going to get 12 bills for 1.6 million euros yeah. every month. That's well, how it's it going to work, change. which is if you get more users, you pay even sure. like, it goes up and down. Sure, sure, because it's a rolling 12-month yep. install thing. The idea there, I think this is reasonable. The idea there is to smooth out yep. this and ha have it fairly accurately reflect your 12-month uh, moving basis uh, user base. So if you have a bunch of people install your app and you go over a million, and then half of them or a quarter of them delete it, you're going to come back down over time. 
And so there's there's obviously uh, Apple has this stuff. They have lots of stuff about on this page. They have a good graphic where they've created an app and like shown how it would be built. So you can kind of look at that. But they also built a calculator tool. So you can go in and you can say what type of app you are if you're in or the out of the store and they have all the different options and permutations and you can plug in a bunch of information and it will tell you how much money you'll owe Apple over a yearly basis. It will estimate that for you. Some of these numbers get really high and it becomes really hard to wrap your head around. Uh, Apple state that less than 1% of developers would have to pay the core technology fee if they remained in the App Store. They also say that under the new business terms, 99% of developers would pay less or the same of what they are currently paying to Apple. The core technology fee applies to paid apps and free apps, educational institutions, government agencies, and registered nonprofits do not pay the CTF. It is for any other type of app, though. If you're a free app, you have no monetization, you still pay the fee once you go over a million. I think that is the explanation of the CTF probably taken care of for a bit. I want to talk about it in more detail in a minute if you're okay with that, Jason. Sure. So alternate app marketplaces, they all need to be approved by Apple before they can be created. They require a 1 million euro letter of credit to make sure that they can pay fees to Apple. This is not as big as it seems. Um, You can get a letter of credit for a smaller fee from a bank. It's essentially showing your solvency as a company because you're going to have to pay Apple money. You cannot create an alternative app marketplace as a developer to only distribute your own applications. It must be set up as a store that accepts submissions you can specialize to a subject area. So Epic are, have already announced they're going to be bringing the Epic Game Store to iOS in Europe because the Epic Game Store is a game store. People apply to be in the Epic Game Store. It's not just Epic's apps. So that is an example right. of how that would work. But like Facebook couldn't create a alternate app marketplace to put Instagram, Facebook, and threads inside of. They can't do that. Right. They could create. In fact, I was thinking about this and I don't think Facebook's going to want to do this unless there, that we may see some shenanigans where there's like, we're going to set up a company or we're going to work with a company that is going to be, you know, owned by or partially owned by Facebook. That's going to be an app marketplace. I mean, there are ways that they could do it. But I was thinking about this, that if you're Facebook, probably what you want to do is not you don't need necessarily your apps to be in that marketplace. But I could see it being like a games marketplace that is run by Facebook or a Facebook proxy so that they can get basically people to, um, you know, to get back to directly click on a link in a Facebook ad and go and get it from that marketplace. Right. I I could see a scenario there complicated though, because we don't know what Apple will do and what will be allowed. And it's, and there's more to this because then you add in how many free app installs does Facebook have. Mm -hmm. And that means that they're, they're now paying for a thing that previously they didn't pay Apple for. And that's part of the overall thing, but we'll get to it. There isn't an app review, but there is notarization. So if you want to submit your application to the Epic Game Store, which would be an mm-hmm. alternate app marketplace, it still has to be submitted for notarization. Yeah. So let me um, let me explain what notarization is because mm-hmm. it happens on the Mac. Um, uh, but it's going to be different 
for this prop process, but it's based on the Mac. It's what we we said all along, which is Apple has been testing this technology on the Mac, and it's clear that they will use that when they have to do something like this. So you submit your app to Apple. Yes, even though it's not going to go in the App Store, you submit your app to Apple. This happens now with Macs that are not in the Mac App Store or at Mac apps that are not in the Mac App Store. You submit the app to Apple. On the Mac, you don't have to do this, but it makes it way easier for everybody if you do. What Apple does is they have an automated scan, and then they cryptographically sign it, which helps in terms of your security, because it means that if the app is then modified later, it doesn't match the signature, and the system can say, oh, something happened to this app. So you get, as a developer, some reassurance that the system is making sure your app isn't um, monkeyed with after the fact for some sort of nefarious purpose. Great. Um, so with this version, what they're also doing is they're going to add some layers of review because they want to make sure that, uh, again, that the app is not malicious. They're barred by the uh, DMA from making kind of judgment calls about the kinds of app they want in the on the platform, but they can have some authority in terms of misrepresentation or danger to the user. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to add a, a pres- basically app review, a human version of the of the scan that is a incredibly limited, but still a review that happens. Yep. And on top of that, another interesting thing is you're thinking, oh, well, notarization, it's not in the app store. The developer who is submitting to notarization actually supplies description, screenshots, all the kinds of things you would expect would be app store metadata. And the reason for that is that'll all get consumed by Apple and wrapped and signed and then kicked back to the developer to put in the marketplace. But what it means is that when you're in the marketplace, no matter what the marketplace says about that app, when you tap to install it, you see what the description was that was uh, submitted to Apple. And this is important because Apple is envisioning a scenario where somebody misrepresents what their app does in the marketplace, and it actually does something very different. And in this scenario, what happens is they have to represent what it does to Apple, and it has to match what the app is. And if it doesn't match, Apple can say, no, this is misleading, nefarious, whatever, and block it, even though it's not an App Store app. And, and and that data rides along. So even if somebody were to lie on their marketplace description about what the app was, when you tap, you're going to see what they told Apple. And that supposedly will give you greater confidence and safety that this app is what they say it is. But what it does mean is that App Store metadata essentially is going to ride along with the app, even if it's not in the App Store. I have lots of thoughts, concerns questions about lots of things here. I think this is maybe the thing that makes the most sense to me. Because I would not expect that you are, if you are a good faith developer that you would be rejected from this process. I I think that the eyes of the regulator are on them. The language in the regulation is clear that they cannot kind of pick and choose what they want. It's only for bugs, safety, malware, uh, you know, uh, it's trying to steal your information. It's like literally there is a very limited remit of what Apple can scan. And I would also say we've had, what, six years, seven years of notarization on the Mac App Store. And a lot of people are on the Mac, not even the Mac App Store, on the Mac. And a lot of people at the time were like, oh, here we go. Apple's going to take. The fact is Apple's notarization, and it's not the same It's gonna as it is going to be on iOS and the EU, but Apple has not use that as a 
a de facto app store rejection system. And I don't expect them to do it here. If you submit a porn app or uh, an emulator or Gambling. any other category of thing that Apple says, no, we're not going to let you do this. Um, they can't turn you away if you aren't buggy, causing harm, containing malware, misrepresenting who you are, right? They're not allowed to do that. Um, and so theoretically, they will just pass those apps through. I heard something today that they are still enforcing app tracking transparency as part yes. of this, which I find to yes. be very frustrating. But it's part of what Apple considers to be security, so... right. So be it. And it's an API. I mean, it's an API. So they're basically saying you need to ask. Mm -hmm. And that's how they've done it up to now, right? Which is you need to ask and then people say no and then they don't get to track. And it's yep. they're using that API uh, because the, they're still running on iOS, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a place where Apple can enforce. Like Apple has looked very clearly. They have mapped out. There's a whiteboard somewhere inside Cupertino where they have, they have very <laughs> cleverly mapped out like what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do and yep. placed certain features in you know, inside or outside that area. With this notarization, it also gives Apple malware protections. I assume that these two things are linked together because by doing this, yeah. you are giving, like Apple is kind of like granting you the ability to run on iOS, which means there is some kind of link that the system is aware of the app as it's running. So for yes. example, if an app became malware, Apple can shut it down, even if it's not in the app store. This is the case on the Mac right now. If you download a, a an, an app, a notarized app from uh, an unknown source on macOS and Apple has identified it as containing malware, it will not run it. And in fact, even if it's not notarized, Apple has a kill switch, but they also will do things like they can kill the developer account because the developer account associated with the signed app is known by Apple. Mm -hmm. So Apple can also say that developer is shut down and all their apps will then not work on Mac OS. So they have a big hammer that they can slam down. But again, it has to be in the name of an actual security threat. Because we've seen this before on the Mac, that one of the classic ones, there was a, uh, I think it's a BitTorrent app called Transmission. And there was, the, there was a server hack for them where malware was put into the application and it was not known right. by the developer, but because it had been notarized, Apple was able to shut it down. So when people tried to open that application where it would probably try and install malware on their Mac, it wouldn't open. And like, so yeah. that's the benefit of, of having this. So it's, it gives them that's that. That's the idea. That's the idea. So I get, I get people being uncomfortable with the idea that it makes it, it the, this system that makes Apple no longer a gatekeeper immediately reinstalls Apple as a gatekeeper. I totally get the, optics of that but even written into the dma it, it it's saying look we're not saying that platform owners don't have the authority to shut down things for security privacy safety reasons um and i think that's sensible right they, they this is not quite the wild west here yep. apple has some authority to protect its users on its platform but it doesn't have the level of power in this scenario that it does on the app store. They don't get to make decisions about content, which I think is like, yeah. Or like what types of businesses can run. Yeah. We don't like this app because, and we've seen so many app store rejections that are also things like, we just don't like this app because it doesn't do anything we think is valuable. Yeah. There's not enough Even if uh, it's features. a perfectly, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's the old no fart app. 
yep. uh, rule that has been extended to all sorts of apps that are actually useful. Uh, plus, it's things like we don't want emulators. We don't want, you know, we don't want pornography. We don't want, I mean, like there, there are classes of apps that they're just like, like if somebody wrote a really great iOS, uh, and I, sadly not on the iPad because it's not covered here, uh, emulator for Mac OS, <laughs> yeah. let's say. Uh, Apple's going to go, nope, uh-uh, no. We're not going to let that in there, but um, that's not. They can't. They can't uh, reject that under these agreements. They would have to let it go, just like they do on the Mac. There's all sorts of weird Mac apps that they that they uh, they notarize because um, that's not what it's there for. Mm-hmm. All right, final few things, and then we can talk about we can have more conversation about this. So, uh, developers have access to using the NFC chip for banking or wallet apps, so you don't have to go through Apple Pay if you don't want to, um, so Apple doesn't take their cut from every transaction. There are some, but I think the most nebulous thing out of all of this is the uh, creation of what is called an interoperability request, where a developer can submit a request to Apple to ask for access to other iPhone hardware or OS features. I expect this email uh, address just goes straight into a trash can, and you can also enable, uh, sorry, and to enable all of this functionality, so everything we've spoken about here today, there are over 600 new APIs available for developers, uh, which includes, as you would imagine, lots of new warning screens that Apple has designed yeah. if a customer wants to choose to use any other system in Apple's own payments, marketplaces, stuff like that. Shout out to Mark Gurman here. Um, 13 months ago, yep. <laughs> in December of 22, he reported that Apple's OS group was gearing up to do a major update to iOS that would address the DMA. And we see now with over 600 new APIs, this is what he was talking about. And it's funny, I would argue this might be the biggest unannounced iOS feature rolled out in a dot release ever. Mm -hmm. Because this was, because I I had somebody ask me, what does this mean about the next version of iOS? Is it going to be scant? because they had to build all this stuff for the EU. And my response was, no, no, no. This was always part of last year's iOS development cycle. They knew they didn't have to ship it until March because that was their deadline. But based on German's reports and based on the scope of this, clearly last year's iOS development cycle included all of this planning and work because it's huge. <laughs> and there was no way they were going to do sort of just a late cycle kick in to get it to work with the DMA. It's a much more expansive set of features. It is, in fact, and I think Apple knows this, there will be other places where things like this will be necessary. And so they might as well build it into the operating system and in their mind, do it right. You know, not have it be a hack, but have it be like, no, there's a whole API for marketplace apps and here's how it works. There's a whole API for apps that are outside the app store and a whole system for submitting them. And here's how that all works. And they've built it now. Like the rules may change. The laws may change. In fact, if some uh, country said uh, you just have to allow sideloading, I think all those APIs are in there. Like, I think you could do that in a different country. Yeah, if if Korea, if South Korea said, just turn on sideloading, it's the law now, Apple has done that work, even though it wouldn't behave exactly like it's behaving theoretically in the EU with the marketplaces, because they've done all this work, work they didn't ever want to do, but now they have to do, and they've done it. And that, I think that is also interesting, because now that work is there. Yep. It's, you wouldn't do it, you wouldn't do all this work and it only work in this one instance, right? Like... 
Well, you gotta hope. <laughs> you really gotta hope <laughs> that they they put the this is like the foundations are in place for all types of things being split up into pieces or in all different types of regions. All of this would go into effect in March, provided that it meets what the EU want. My understanding, though, is that they don't get told this beforehand and people are submitting their objections to the European Commission right now about what Apple has put out there. So while this may all look very final, it is actually Apple's proposal yes. for how they would and, comply with the Digital Markets Act. And I, I, if there is one piece of writing about this that I think is the perfect sort of chef's kiss, it is John Gruber wrote a very, very, very long piece about this. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact he talked to a lot of people inside Apple about this to get their perspective on it. But the last section of Gruber's thing is so good because basically what he says is, well, look here. Just as developers over the years have submitted their apps to Apple and hoped that they would be approved by a somewhat untrustworthy, capricious, you just never can tell with those guys what's going to happen. Now Apple has effectively submitted their work to the EU and the European Commission and said, what do you think, sirs? And they are in the same boat, right? Which is they might get rejected. Right. Just like a developer gets rejected. And that is a very funny uh, and I think trenchant observation by Mr. Gruber. Yep. So how how do you is it too big a question to ask? How do you feel about this? Feels. Let's talk about the feels. Um, I'm surprised by some of it. Yeah. I. I sort of thought that they would go with the approach that they've done elsewhere where they've said, okay, you can use your own thing, but you still owe us 30%. And it must be that they're reading of the DMA that they can't I do that. I think they know they can't get away with it, otherwise they wouldn't yeah. have done this. Because they, they, they've made it quite clear what they think they should have everywhere else in the world, but this time they've changed right. that, right? The commission, yes. the commission is different. And yes. for some people, so, as Apple have said, lower. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that they that they have done more than I thought. But what, what really has struck me in reading it and thinking about it and writing about it is that this is Apple, like I said before, it's Apple very carefully mapping out what they're required to do and what they're not required to do. Okay, so I need to back up and say, we've talked about these issues for the last couple of years here on the podcast. And one of the things that I've said a few times, I'm going to repeat now because I think it's super important, which is there are regulators and governments that are comfortable regulating specific kinds of behaviors, but are much less comfortable telling a company essentially that their product doesn't belong to them anymore, that their method of making money, their internal business uh, costs and calculations have uh, that are going to be seized essentially and taken control of by the regulator or the government. And I say this because Apple structures a lot of this stuff, including everything they've done here. I mean, if I want to be incendiary, I can say they're daring them to do this. But I think also Apple 
has this feeling like there is a limit beyond which the regulators won't step with a company. So what you see here is Apple has built these structures essentially to make it so unpalatable that nobody will want to do them and or that very, very few people, very few companies will want to participate. And that core technology fee is a really great example of a poison pill because I thought immediately, well, Facebook will clearly do this and Epic will clearly do this. And, you know, and what will happen with Spotify and how are they going to handle this? But charging 50 cents for every free install is a shot across the bow of the model most cultivated by the App Store economics, which is the freemium model. Get our thing, use it for free. We'll make money somewhere else or we'll upcharge you later. And so like if you're Facebook, you got to be confident that going outside or using your own payment processor so you can do more tracking or whatever, you got to be really confident that that's worth it because your business is run on free apps that will now be charged by Apple at a rate of 50 cents per year. Which that amount of money, so, okay, huge amount of money it can become, right? 50 cents a year for per customer is not a large amount of money if you have a decent business model, right? Like if you have a business model that is working right. for you. But the, the, the challenge for Facebook is there's a part of Facebook that's like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if we could just put those web, like in the old days, put those web links in Facebook to app sales. Yeah. And then we we follow them and we can charge them because it, it's our marketplace and like all of these things about it. I'm sure there's a group in, in Facebook that's like, yeah, let's do that. But my question is, what revenue does that generate? in the EU. And does it, because it's not 50 cents per user who is buying those apps. It's 50 cents per every user of Facebook and every user of Instagram and every user of WhatsApp, right? And every user of Messenger. It is everybody. It's 50 cents. And those are big apps that are used by lots of people. So the price tag is going to be big. Could, can Facebook afford it? Of course it can. But my question is, do you better be able to offset that? Otherwise, you're better off just staying with the current terms. But and you, I think we know Facebook can, though, right? We know we know how much money they make. We know they can afford that. But that's not my not my not my point. Not my point, right? No. So your 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 Facebook and your cho- you're, you're given two choices. Choice A is stay with the status quo. Choice B is spend thirty million euros a year on free apps in exchange for what you get out of it, which is some reduced terms for payments, which you're not really taking, and some enhanced ability, but not as much as you'd think to track in terms of web clicks and credit card transactions and the like. And my argument would be, the group of people that's into that stuff in Facebook is going to be like, yeah, 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 let's do it, let's do it. But if I'm running Facebook and I'm looking at the whatever it is, 40 million, 50 million, Whatever that fee is, I have to be confident that by making this move, I'm going to make that money back and then some. And if I can't, why would I do it? Why would well, I do it? Right? Like, because then I'm, I'm losing money t- to make 
I, I'm making a move to make less money. That's not, that is bad business, right? And that's the poison pill here for a lot of people. Also, anybody who's an indie developer, right? First off, the terms aren't as good, so your your terms will improve by a couple percentage points. It's not really much of anything, and you risk any of your free apps. And let's face it, most indie developers have a freemium model because the app store really pushes you to have that freemium model. Suddenly, our friend James Thompson just told us in the Discord, like. Even a little, uh, sorry, James, little app like PCALC Lite is over the threshold in the EU. So he would be on the hook for a large amount of money from his free app that is, because it's a free app, not generating revenue. So, like, that's the poison pill at the center of this, I think. I I feel like a company, we'll, we'll just keep using Meta as the example here, right? I could imagine a scenario where if this becomes the worldwide model, which I think we both assume it could, right? That like could. governments, like the you know governments in America, governments in the UK, governments all over, you know, governments in Japan yeah. might look at this and say, "That's the model." Thank you, Europe. Apple, and Apple's we'll already built that. it. Yeah, because it's done, Apple's right? already built it. So Apple can't say, "Oh no, that's going to be onerous for us." They they built it. It's done. It's done. So this mm-hmm. is like the easy way to say we've regulated Apple. Da 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 da. If it's, if this became the model in say 60 70% of where Facebook has its customers I could imagine a scenario in which they are willing to lose or pay the fee to have a bit more control Yeah it comes down to the details like I don't know what happens when you tap on a on an app download ad in Facebook in this model um and you go to a web page and they track you like does apple do some anti tracking and like i i don't know some of the details that probably won't be known until you you uh this gets launched in your facebook yeah. and you're trying to figure it out yeah. like i wouldn't do we think apple's not trying to make that as hard as possible for facebook to do yeah. on top of everything else but it let's say you could get the leverage let's say you could get value in it then that's your business decision right is is it worth it for me to pay 50 cents for every parent and grandma that's using facebook to look at pictures of cats uh in order to be able to monetize somewhat differently with this one part of my business that's the question i'm not saying it's not i'm just saying it's not as obvious as you would think and or maybe even like a better like you know a different example like another interesting example is Epic right they have the Epic Game Store yeah. they they have I don't remember what it is but I know that their fee on other platforms is smaller than what Apple's cut is mm-hmm. I think it might be similar now because like to, because of this reduced thing but that is a a business where there is sense to be made for having your own app store right and because it is tailored uh, I think an an app store with a product that is generating a lot of money is, uh, or sorry, an app marketplace. A marketplace. An, a marketplace. Where, where the, inherently all of the the apps within that marketplace are expected to be paid, which is video yeah. games. And, or or and they have, know, a, have a very lucrative freemium model. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. You know, like Epic knows how many people play Fortnite, Fortnite. or whatever. Yeah. And and don't pay versus pay. What's the average? And the, and it's ARPU, right? Average revenue per user is the term there. And if your ARPU is above whatever that break even is, whether it's like above fifty cents or a dollar or whatever, then it starts to be worth it. 
right to do that. And I think that I think that high generating apps like games are the scenario that is the most likely for this. Now it is irrevocable and it means that if you're you're going to be paying Apple that regardless of whether you're in the App Store or not, but I can see how in being how somebody like Epic could construct a place where gamers in the EU know like there are good games and there are and 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 they will install the uh the marketplace because there are good games there and those g- games are generating enough revenue that it's worth paying the tax to yeah. Apple on the downloads on the active users it's not even downloads it is so like if you get a, if you get Fortnite and you delete it um you will fall off but you yeah. will no no longer be um counted so there there's that too yeah i think it's i think it's quite possible that that games is the place where you might see this scenario it's the easiest one it's the easiest one right because you should you should as a game developer be making 50 cents per year right you should not be able and and, and if you're not you need to rethink your model right yes. this, this is the whole like i've been playing like Marvel Snap for more than a year, and yeah. I, I did finally buy something in it yeah, after yeah. more than a year. I, I, I paid five dollars for something, right? And I thought, well, they've now gotten five dollars out of me in fourteen months. Is it worth it for them? Yes. I don't know. I, I yes. have that, I have that thought, which is I'm not sure, it because I was able to like as a user, I'm very happy to not have to pay to play that game, mm-hmm. but. As a as thinking about the business, I'm thought maybe it's a little too easy to play this game for free, right? Like you, you need, but the businesses no, and and the game companies are very good at monitoring and doing the mechanics and knowing what the ARPU is, uh, and that's the that's the figure here is average revenue per user, and and if you can say and you just do the math, like okay, we'll throw in Apple's tax, but we get this back and we control this, and we're and 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 we're gonna. And Epic is going to take this cut, which is smaller, and then we're left with, you know, let's run the numbers. And the answer is, oh, it's worth it for us to do it, and they'll do it. And I can see that scenario. But what we're not going to see, I think, is this incredible flourishing of marketplaces, let a thousand marketplaces bloom. I don't think that's going to happen. And even stuff that I thought on Thursday was more likely to to, to happen, like Altstore said they're going to go there. And it's like, okay, fine, Altstore, fine. Um, that's a that's a an existing sort of outside the app store uh, gray market the kind of marketplace. But like I thought setup would be a good example of this. But yep. the problem is a lot of those setup apps are utilities that are very useful and that are also in the app store because right now they have to be and presumably they would stay in the app store. But for them to be in the marketplace, they have to opt into the new terms. And will that make sense for them? I don't know, right? So it makes it gives me pause for something like a subscription service like Setapp to do it because all their partners have to opt into the new terms and that might be economically yep. unhelpful. So they're just lots of questions here. But someone could make a someone could make something else like that, right? And like and and in such you model the business in a way that you understand that the CTF exists. And that you kind of, for every user, you have to generate 50 cents a year. It's just a different model. Uh, And honestly, having an ARPU for a free app above 50 cents is not hard. No. But but, But in the App Store, the way that Apple has had the App Store for the last 15 years... You haven't had to do that, right? Like, this is this is Apple weaponizing the fact that they've let free apps be completely free of charge in the app store. Now they're saying basically like, all right, you want better terms, we'll give you better terms. You want more freedom, we'll give you more freedom. But 
free apps aren't free anymore. Bottom line, free for uh, again well, because they weren't in the first hit, place. Huge hit free apps aren't free anymore. We should put it that way, right? Because it is over a million. So congratulations to James Thompson. Pcalc Live is a huge hit. And it's so you over can, a million. You can see through all of this. Right, you see through all of this that how much money Apple's making from in-app purchases from games. Yes, this, that's what the CTF. That's what is. this is. All, that's what that's what this is all about. Yes, that's that's why I get frustrated when indie developers talk about this because the truth is that if you look at Apple's policies, everything resolves itself. Why did they do the small business? program and cut the fees to 15%. It was one, to get the heat off of them. And two, they don't really care about people who are making small amount under a million dollars a year in the app store. They don't. They just don't care. There are a few huge game developers who are selling digital goods. It's what John Syracuse always calls what? Uh, casino games for children. Um, and they, and, but it's not just children. It's also adults and it's, it's, you know, buy more gems or buy more spins or buy that beautiful uh, set of Marvel snap art, which is what I did. And uh, those few companies that are excellent at, monetizing all digital items in their apps obviously are the vast bulk of app store revenue obviously and that's what apple cares about is in the end apple is trying to protect the money they get from the 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 big players in the game space that's it when i read about the ctf i'm kind of like i wished it was just this way always i wished it was this way from the beginning that when I read that out, I wished Apple had a fixed amount of money they could make from a developer over a million downloads in a year. Then we would not have had all of the stuff we have had around in-app purchases. We would not have had all of this terrible monetization in video games. It mm-hmm. would have saved so many bad things from happening, like the thousands and thousands and thousands of people getting laid off across the gaming industry each year at the moment because like games exploded with the freemium models during the pandemic and everyone's getting, like I wished there was just a flat fee and that was it and that people built their business models around that like and if you're like how could you say that Mike I'm an idiot it's like no because you wouldn't have built your business the way you've built it like yeah. to me the idea that you run a business like look I have a very different business right to me like the idea of running a, a, a business and not being able to afford 50 cents per user like that is you are running on some odd margins in, to, to the way that things seem simple to me, right? Like, right, but it's it, there's zero cost to it, so I can sort of see like if your if your ARPU is below fifty cents, but you are able to monetize, like you know, again, I don't know, you've got five million users, and the percentage of them who buy the upgrade is relatively small, but it doesn't have to be that big for it to be material to you. And it doesn't matter that your conversion rate is low. And what the 50 cent charge is, is it matters if your conversion rate is low. You, 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 are, you can't run that business. You can't have an, a deeply inefficient freemium app business under this scenario. You can't do it. And I take your point, which is you're running a bad business if you can't monetize your free app like that. Like, I mean, it's true. It, that's just the truth of it is the whole, the whole purpose. Okay. We should say there are free apps that people just do for love. Right, but they're under the million and can't be monetized. They're under. They're probably under the million, or they are just 
under the old terms, right? It doesn't matter. They're completely free. It doesn't matter. But yeah, if you're trying to make money from a free app, which means it's got an in-app purchase, it's yeah. got an upgrade of some kind, you should be able to convert whatever you're charging, you should be able to convert probably at a level above 50 cents in a, a download, an active yeah. user. You've got you've got 5 million active users and can't convert them at that level. That's not great. It's weird. It's not great. Right? Like, there's just yeah. like, on the face of it, it just seems strange to me. It's like Spotify saying they can't afford it. And it's like, yeah, Spotify, you have a bad business model. Everyone already knows this. Like, I don't think there's anything that Apple can do for you that's going to help your business model. We all know that, you know? If you've got 5 million active users and you can't make $2 million a year on them, there's something wrong. Yeah. Because that's, that's, right, that's, that's $2 for every five users. Yeah. So you're converting whatever that is, 40%. And that's for a that's for dollar, you're converting at 40%. For $4, you're converting at 10%, right? <laughs> I like, again, I'm just doing the math in my head here. But like, I, anyway, but what I will say, Mike, is, is free, free ride on the App Store means nobody cares what your conversion rate is, right? They don't care. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just put it out for fun and there's a tip jar and sometimes I get money for it. That's why I'm like, saying- That's like, okay. I wish that's it started okay. this way, right? Like I right. know why now this is hard. I'm just saying I wished the, the 30% thing never existed. Right, because because Apple has, has, has I, I don't want to say distorted, but like the terms of the App Store have led the App Store in this direction. And one of the terms from the moment Steve Jobs unveiled it was, if it's free, it's free. We don't charge you anything. You can just be there. We'll, we'll pay for your downloads and all those things and your hosting. You don't have to worry about it. Free apps are just free. And that was from the beginning. And I, one of the reasons they did that is because there was this fear, I think, that nobody would if you if you try to put up an app an app up for free apple can't charge you for it really like that's really that's really rough but they're not letting you out of the store and and so they're like okay look we're going to control everything but if you're not charging we'll just let you ride and that's fine but what happened with the and and remember mike at the beginning <laughs> you couldn't be free with in app purchases i was just about to say that it's one of my favorite facts that i think it's hard to wrap your head around that when they right. introduced in-app purchases, they were only for paid apps. Yes. Free apps were not, freemium was not there on day one. Free apps were there on day one. And the, the premise originally for free apps was, look, they're never going to make any money for this thing. It's just free. Yep. Or, or, the, or it's happening somewhere else. So it's just free. But but the moment that you could do free with an app purchase, everything was different about what a free app was and how it was there. And then everybody has followed it. And I'm not saying it's a fundamentally wrong model. It's proven to be incredibly successful as a model. Try it for free and then pay. And we have lots of friends who who have made very successful businesses on the free within app purchase model. Um, most actually, I would say all the developers we know who are successful have made money on this model but this is how it works because this is how the app store works now yeah I, th I, th I see what you're saying there but i think there's like a slight there's a twist in that right which is just like they follow the rule like the how the app store is supposed to work you know what i mean which is but like if the app store was paid up front they still could have been a bit of a, it's a different as an alternate reality than the one that we're in that's absolutely true but yes because of the way it's worked it has led lots of developers to work this way like 
I right. We know lots of developers who've had apps for a long time where the apps used to be paid and now they're all free within app purchase because that's where the market went and they had to go there. And I, I, I don't like it either. I understand it because Apple also didn't offer like free trials or things like that at, at various points. And so try it for free and then pay for the features has just become the model. But there are certain kinds of apps that are going to look and, and, you know, that's how it can be a poison pill is that Facebook has lots of free apps. And that means they're going to pay Apple a lot of money if they switch to this new system and they have to make a pencil out because they don't get those apps for free anymore. I want to talk about the 1 million threshold a little bit because you're right. Like, I think understandably, a lot of indie developers in the community are freaking out, right? Like, oh, I'd, I'd go overnight, I'd be an overnight success, and now I owe hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, that is incredibly rare. Like, can you name one other person other than David Smith that that happened to? He's the he's the example. Yes, but like he's yeah he's the the one. I I'm sure like Flappy Bird man. <laughs> Right, yeah, but, like but, that's a game, though. Like I'm talking, like I, yeah. I think, like if I'm talking about like the listeners of our show, the people in our community tends to be independent app developers, right? Yeah, yeah. It is incredibly rare for that to incredibly. occur, and you know, David can speak to this for himself if he ever wanted to, but maybe he had that and had enough success that he could have afforded it, right? That like mm-hmm. it happened, but David has a subscription in his app. Maybe it was successful enough that he could have paid for the what would have happened. I don't. I genuinely don't know the answer to that. But that might, you know. So like, you're like, oh, what if I wake up and I have two million users? Like, well, how many people signed up? You know, maybe well, you're okay now. I don't know. It goes back to what we said before too about your business model. Like David launched WidgetSmith not knowing it was going to be an enormous viral hit, mm-hmm. but with. $2 a month, $20 a year premium yeah. upsell in the app to get features that people were going to want. Calibrated carefully, and I'm sure he learned a lot as he took that ride, but like he benefited from having an enormous amount of installs. He got to see how people were using it. He got to craft his app so that the premium features would have real reasons for you to buy them. Mm-hmm. And certainly his goal there is to make a pretty good average revenue per user, even though a bunch of people are just going to use the free version. As Nathan in the, in the Discord is saying, like, if you are in these terms, you, all you need is a one euro a year subscription, right? Which I think a lot of people pay. Anyway, but look, my, my yeah. point of that is, right, like, if you are a developer and you like the sound of some of this stuff, you just have to prepare for this possibility. Right. Which is about having a business model. Like, but if you don't want to have a business model, don't do this, right? But there is, I think, for a lot of people, there is more money to be made for your business outside of the app store, potentially. Mm. On paper, on paper, there is. I, I would say if you're, a, if you're a developer of a small app that is already doing fine in the app store and you're under the 1 million threshold, so you're in the small business program, I would say it would... Not be impossible, but it's going to be a harder sell. You just got to look into it, though, right? Like you, you have to work out what it could mean for you. Everybody should do the math, but I'm, I'm just saying the reduced commission is not as great for the people under a million as it is for the people over yes. a million. The people, yes. the businesses over a million, that's a substantial. You're going from mm-hmm. thirty to twenty, 
but going from 15 to 13 or whatever yeah. mm, is not fantastic. Not so and now presumably you're all you're paying for all of your uh, freemium installs if you're over a million, which we know you know PCalc Lite is. So like there are going to be a lot of longstanding mm-hmm. apps that that are going to pick up those. So you're going to have to run the numbers. I I think that there are going to be a lot a lot of developers who are going to look at this and say. I am just going to stay with the terms I've got because I'm comfortable and I'm just going to stay in the app store and there's no opportunity here. Some will find opportunity here, but I do think it's going to be more um, the big, the big guns that are going to be seeking the opportunity. And it is funny how uh, Tim Sweeney of Epic um, posted on Twitter about how this was terrible and Apple is evil and blah, 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 blah. There's nothing Apple can do with Tim. Just wait, just wait, just wait. What what I'm saying is Tim Sweetie can say all of that, yeah. but what what also happened? Epic posted, "We're totally coming back in the EU yeah. with Fortnite. Yeah. Here we come!" Right? So it's like, yeah, I, I hear you, Tim. You 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 still hate Apple, but yeah. your company is immediately going to take advantage of this deal, this bad deal that Apple is offering you. So mm, you tell me. What I love about Tim Sweeney is he's consistent. You know, like oh yeah, there is nothing they can do that he will be happy with, and you know what? No. I respect it. <laughs> I respect it. Like he has an opinion and his opinion is complete freedom or it's criminal. And there are times where I agree with him <laughs> because here's the thing, right? Why does the 10 to 10 slash 17% commission exist on the app store? Mm. Why does that still exist? If you want to be in the app store, what, it, what are you paying Apple 10% for? If the, if the core technology fee exists, Apple consider mm-hmm. that what are you what they they consider fifty cents per customer per year to be yep. their fee for you using iOS right for using core technology yes so I would say the what app is store ten percent for what is the seventeen percent for it's marketing it is being who markets par- Apple do they it yeah well yeah so it's being in the app store it's getting being eligible for you know, highlights and promotion and editorial pieces in the app store. And it's, wait for this, Mike, because I got to say it, it's being in the EU's premier iOS marketplace, the app store, and everything that comes from it, because so many users are always just going to use the app store. And so by being in there, uh, that is worth it to you. That's the the argument. That's the argument. Look, I I think... In 2024, the claim about its marketing, I just don't think it holds up. Like, there may be 0.00001% of applications benefit from this, but they're all paying 10%. Being in the search search results is your number one reason you're in the App Store, and that is marketing of a sort. Well, but these days, Jason, you have to pay to make sure you're going to be at the top of the search results. Sure. That's true. You get to pay Apple in order to This is what to, I'm saying. Like the Apple. terms of the deal has changed so significantly since the App Store was introduced. I'm not sure why they take a commission anymore. We will we will see. Well, because they want your money and they think that they, But like I don't know honestly, what grounds in here, which they here, can argue here, it. Well, I just said it. So uh, so let me but I don't let me agree with it. <laughs> Let me Okay, well let me re- repeat it then. I think for a lot of apps it's just better to be in the App Store and you're going to have more app sales. And I will I, and I'll say this, we'll we're going to find out because if some apps decide, if they decide that it's just way better to to either be in the App Store and another marketplace or just not be in the App Store anymore and be in an alternate EU marketplace where they're going to make more money 
and have more customers and whatever else, then I guess we'll have our answer. My guess is that lots of people don't want to install app marketplaces. They're just going to stay with the app store and they're not, and those developers are not going to want to abandon being in the default. I think that the default is powerful enough. Now, you know, if, if 10 or 17% is still too much and that they're better off being on the outside, then Apple will have been, been proven wrong. But the power to me, the power of the default is so great that and they're not yet putting up a randomized list of marketplaces for you to use right mm-hmm. it's the app store by default and then yes. you have to find another marketplace and install it i think being in the default is probably worth 10 percent. see you, you actually started leaning into what i was going to talk about next to kind of wrap this back around again so i've been seeing lots of people and hearing lots of people really concerned that chrome is going to become the most popular web browser on the iphone because people will be given the choice rather than safari right they're like, given the choice, they'll choose Chrome rather than Safari because it's what they're used to. It's what they choose on their Mac. It's what they choose on their PC. They choose Chrome. And I've seen people being like, ah, oh, well, this is what people choose. They choose Chrome. So Apple has to work to make them want Safari, right, instead. So my kind of my point is that, yeah, Apple has the premier default app store place to get apps because they're the, they have been the only one. And even now, mm-hmm. when there is the opportunity for there to be marketplaces, they have set the terms for the other marketplaces to be in their favor. So it's like, I agree with you, right? You are making, that is the, that is the point, right? That like, you will stay and pay your 10 or 17% because you want to be in the main place. Yeah. But Apple set that table for themselves. Sure. And so, and like, just at this point, I don't understand. Like, I just, this, why, why, no, why, no, look, I understand why. Obviously, I understand why. But like, in an, in a, this is a business relationship between Apple and every developer. What do the developers actually get for giving Apple a cut in, of every transaction and then an additional one on top when they hit a million? You know, it's like, what is the deal? And I and then you look at things like the you know we haven't really spoken about this, but obviously I would assume most of our listeners are aware of it. So a lot of like hand wringing about how many apps are going to be on the Vision Pro and how many developers are not bothering. And you know I I think uh, John Gruber we spoke about earlier has been referencing the idea of like Apple is reaping what it's sown at this mm-hmm. point because the they have not engendered themselves to developers. They have not made it feel like an ongoing relationship. It has been an ongoing set of adapting rules and guidelines that people need to just accept they have no choice. And even when given a choice, most developers feel now like they actually can't even make the choice because they're worried that it won't work out for their businesses. Yep, yep. What I would say about the competition in the marketplaces is if there is true competition, um, Apple gets the home field advantage, right? Which I think I think they should because they're the platform owner. But I think it shouldn't be that they shut out everybody else. But in a scenario where people can choose different app marketplaces, um, which I, I agree that, I mean, Apple, because of the poison pill, lots of things, Apple has stacked the deck here. I don't think that those marketplaces are going to be successful except for very specific niches of product. But what I would say is 
if you were in an environment where there was true competition, then we would find out whether being in Apple's App Store was worth it or not. But I yeah. think it's because the competition is limited and it's the default. It's probably worth it for most developers to be there regardless. But yes, in a true competition environment, which is not strangely what the DMA is asking for, uh, or at least not how Apple has interpreted the DMA's rules, um, we, we're in a situation where... Uh, we don't get to see Apple have to decide, does it lower its commission in order to make itself more palatable for app developers? And look at the Mac App Store. It's not required, and there are, it's pretty quiet. There's stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the Mac App Store. There's also a lot of stuff that's not in the Mac App Store. And even with the Mac App Store being more expansive than it used to be, and maybe being a place that some developers are like, it's worth it being in there because some people are going to use the Mac App Store, it doesn't have the power that something like iOS does because of all of the limitations and the fact that there's no competition. Yeah. Now, Safari, I want to mention here too, because like, if everybody starts using Chrome, is that a bad thing? Because they would, they chose it. And that means that Apple has to compete on browser with Chrome. And if Chrome is better, shouldn't it win? Um, if, if Chrome is better on iOS than Safari, and I hear people say, oh no, but Chrome is bad because it kills the battery. Hey, if it kills your battery, on iOS, like it does on a Mac laptop, don't you think people will notice and say, oh, yes. I'm not going to use Chrome because it kills get my battery? That will pretty quick. That's part of the competition. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the competition of all of this is that. So again, I don't have, like, I think Apple should welcome competition because I think it makes Apple, it keeps Apple honest. Yep. And and Apple will always say, oh, no, we're always just our dedication to our users is the most important thing. That's what drives us. And like that is true to a certain point. But if Chrome is breathing down your neck on iOS and everybody in the EU is like, oh, man, Chrome is so much better than Safari. Safari is really lagging behind in these areas. Do you not think people at Apple are going to be like, oh, no, um, we need to do better with Safari? It's natural. Of course that's going to happen because that's the magic of competition. I want to just state for the record, and believe it or not, I do believe that Apple deserves the right to earn money. I would have been happy, genuinely happy here, if they would have chosen one or the other, right? Reduce the App Store commission or introduce the core technology fee, right? And just have one or the other. Because to me, it would have felt like, great, they've made a concession they are like holding their hands up to the fact that they have the entire market <laughs> and they have all of the leverage and they're adjusting like cuz i've this is all i've wanted them to do for a long time is adjust like you set the terms so many years ago it's over a decade right the app store yeah 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 oh yeah they set the terms all that time ago and then years. And then haven't really adjusted them, but the world has changed so significantly that adjustment, I believe, is necessary. But in the end, they've adjusted it, but adjusted it in such a way that it still kind of behooves most people to not move. It's like it's not really a choice if people feel like they don't have a choice. But I think that they deserve money. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. And I think that. I think that that's part of Apple's strategy is to, to couch all of this in terms of access to marketing in the App Store, access to the platform that Apple puts. I mean, can, can we argue Apple spends a 
enormous amount of money maintaining and operating the operating system and all the APIs for developers and all the developer tools. And they're, they're essentially free. So to say you've built an entire business, like let's say Instagram, you've built an entire business on a free app download using our APIs. Is it wrong for Apple to say you should probably pay us? I don't think it is. That said, the problem is over the years, Apple has often acted like what I, I, I've said before, because I am colored by um, their their uh, actions toward Macworld over the years. The, the feeling that um, they 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 view themselves as the creator of value and that everybody else is a taker, a way of value and, a, and a, almost like a parasite. And I think that that is part of the attitude and has been all along. And and both those things can be true. Apple could deserve to be compensated for access to their platform. At the same time, though, the apps on the platform have made the platform. And Apple makes a huge amount of profit per iPhone sold. Yes. So Apple's already reaping, but viewed a certain way, Apple is already reaping the benefits of the work they put into their platform, which is they sell expensive phones that are very profitable and people buy them because of the apps that are on them. Yep. And that's the transaction. Yep. But we can we can debate it and say, okay, yes, but there should probably be an extra cut for the tools that make those apps, even though Apple's already making their money. Look, billionaires who, who have more money than God ask uh, cash-strapped cities and states to build stadiums for their baseball teams and their football teams. Mm-hmm. There are lots of examples where very wealthy, rich individuals or companies um, still want more money. That's why they got so rich. Uh, and and so, okay, maybe Apple does deserve something from these businesses that are building huge businesses on Apple software platforms. But you're right. What is that? And what would what is fair? And what I would say, what allows businesses to flourish Apple to flourish and consumers to benefit, the, Apple's yes. customers to benefit. Yes. That's part of the question here. And the danger of Apple taking this very, very careful approach to carving out exactly what the DMA makes them carve out and nothing more is that you end up with sometimes some very weird, distorted behavior. I'm not sure it's going to fly. The idea that free to be to sell your, not even to sell, to allow your free app to be downloaded in an alternative marketplace if your free app is it has more than a million users. Free app, no monetization at all. You owe Apple money. Because of the act of being in an external marketplace, you now owe Apple money for all of your users. Even though you are still not making any money. Yeah, that's wild. When you put it that way, that is so wild, right? Like Right? Yeah. It's not cuz the rule is not if you make money in this app, which I wonder sometimes if that should have been the rule, right? Which is here's our rule and it's not for free apps, it's not for all apps, it's for apps uh apps that make money. It's hard because it's like ads in in Instagram make money and they're not like in-app sequences but so i don't know how you would carve them out well i mean jason apple these days are fine of auditing your books so they could find a way <laughs> exactly so so that's what that's what i would say is i'm a little surprised because one of the things that this rule does is say i am a developer of a thing that's based on open source and i just love it 
and I put it in the app store and I'm in the EU maybe. And like, I'm in, and, and, oh, I like the alt store people and I want to be there too. This is just a utility. It's already in the app store. It's approved by Apple. It's fine. But I want to, I want to put it somewhere else. And then you say, oh, but I have 1.5 million active users in the EU of my free app that I just give away for fun. Apple basically has said, you can't, you can't have the freedom to give it away somewhere else because we're going to charge you and this project is never, ever, ever going to pay for it. I know that's an extreme example, but it strikes me as being one that goes to the heart of like, this doesn't seem quite right. Not that Apple shouldn't find ways to make money, but that some of these acts, uh, these aspects of these rules don't, don't quite seem fair or right. Uh, morally, if not legally, right? So I, I don't know. I'm skeptical that these will stand for, uh, even if they're allowed in March, I am skeptical that Apple, the danger of Apple sort of saying, haha, we follow the letter of the law, but nobody's going to like it, is that if nobody likes it and it makes no changes to the way that apps behave in the EU, they're going to write DMA2 and they're going to come for Apple again. That's the problem here is that if nothing changes, then the regulators are not going to be satisfied. One can hope, I think. We'll see. We'll see. I I do think, we mentioned this earlier, I just want to reiterate, um, the act of Apple building all of this technology undercuts one of Apple's arguments, which is how dare you demand that we use our employees to build special features for you because here they are and apple must know i mean apple knows that this won't be the last place where some aspect of this is going to be made a rule and so they're going to they're going to do uh things based on this now going forward that's fine um the other risk apple has here by the way is that they've always said once you allow this kind of uh, unfettered access to the platform um scams and terrible things and happen. terrible things will happen and if those don't happen in the eu they can't make that argument anymore either and i do foresee First off, I foresee that Apple's marketing and PR group is going to spring on any example of bad actors in uh, third in third party marketplaces, because even if it means that Apple's own customers are going to be harmed, they're also going to want to make it clear that this is an example that wouldn't have happened without the DMA. I think they will try to make hay with that. It's going to be tough, but I think they're going to try. But the reality is every other organization on the planet is looking at this and saying, oh, we could do that too. And now maybe they'll let the machine run in the EU for a while and see what the ramifications are. But it's got, it has just gotten so much easier for any regulatory body to demand things of Apple because of this. And so that may lead to some interesting places or nowhere at all, depending on what happens in the EU. But like, I can totally see other countries and regions saying, um, uh, give us that, right? Do that like you did in Europe. We Thanks want so that. Much. And, yeah, we'll and that. writing their regulations or laws specifically to do that or to do that with a twist because they don't like this part of it or not. I, all of that is going to happen. So I feel like this is this is only the beginning. We're not even at day one yet. This is only the beginning of this, but the next phase of all of this is going to happen as we watch what happens in Europe, but also as everybody else who has the power to force Apple to do things in their markets watches what Apple does in Europe.
This episode is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens. Uni is the world's number one pizza oven company, letting you make restaurant-quality pizza in your very own backyard. They make surprisingly small ovens powered by your choice of wood, charcoal, gas, and now electric, thanks to the introduction of the Uni Vault, which works indoors or outdoors with a bunch of incredibly smart technology to give you restaurant-quality pizza in an electric oven as well. It was so good, in 2023, Oprah put it on her favorite things list. I mean, if Oprah's going to do it, you know what I mean? If it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for you. Pizza, you get pizza, you get pizza. You get you get pizza. pizza. Everybody gets pizza. And that's what can happen with an uni pizza oven because mm, they're incredibly portable. They can fit into any outside space and you can cook pizza, restaurant quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds. So you only need a minute for every person that's going to be there. So yes, everyone can get pizza with an uni pizza oven. Uni pizza ovens reach temperatures of up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit, 500 degrees Celsius. The high temperature is what separates the pizzas you can make in these ovens from what you can make in a conventional oven. Another of Uni's uh, really popular models is the Coda 16. This is a gas-powered oven that can cook up to 16-inch pizzas with an innovative L-shaped burner at the back to give you even heat distribution. Their ovens start at just $299, and they do free shipping in the US, the UK, and the EU. Jason, does everybody get pizza in the snow house when the uni's yeah, out? Yeah, everybody. I mean, there's not that many of us now, humans. The do- mm-hmm. animals don't get pizza. The humans get pizza. Right, it's makes pizza sense. for humans. Sense. But yes, I have big uh, uni news in, in the Snell household, which is um, it's always pizza season now uh, because I bought, uh, rather than pack away the uni uh, for the winter, because our winter is not particularly harsh here, I bought a a, a cover yes. for my, mm-hmm. uh, my uni oven. And so now uh, it can just stay. It just stays out in the backyard on the table. Yep. And I can uncover it and and make things in it and then cover it back up again. And I don't have to bring it in from the elements. Very cool. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, they do even, all of that stuff. You can get covers. You can get all mm-hmm. the kinds of accessories, peels, cutters, tables, the whole nine the yards. Whole thing. Yep. Just go to uni.com, O-O-N-I.com. Use the code upgrade Either try Upgrade 2023 or Upgrade 2024 <laughs> at checkout, and you can get 10% off your purchase of an Uni Pizza oven. Uni Pizza ovens are the best way to bring restaurant-quality pizza to your own backyard. That is uni.com, O-O-N-I.com. Well, thanks to Uni Pizza ovens for their support of this show and Relay FM. I... <sighs> now, for me, the DMA is in the rear view. Right, we okay. have, we've spoken about this now. It will come back, but I want to put that behind me because I want to focus on what I have been excited about and what I am excited about, which is Vision Pro this week. Vision Pro. This is but the week. I want to hear from you because oh. you got to try it again. I did on Friday. I okay. went down. You know, I went down to Apple Park Swung as you by. do. Swung by. Just uh, did some power sliding. Yep. Yeah, I did. I went to Apple Park. I parked under the visitor center, went across the street up to the Steve Jobs Theater and got a uh, another demo experience. Very okay. similar, I would say, to our uh, WWDC uh, experience. Yeah. But I would say more polished. Clearly, it's gotten... It's gotten more polished. There was stuff that happened when we did it that was sort of like, here, we're going to play a video for you now. And instead it was like, go to the TV app and go to the spatial and then tap on this video and play it. And then use this control to make it immersive. 
Uh, so like there's UI for things that were more sort of wired up as demos before. Um, I did, I, I found it funny that I have internalized some gestures that are not right <laughs> over the okay. last six months where I thought like, oh, what you do to move a window is you reach out with your hand and grab it. And that's not what it is. You look at the grab bar and yeah. then you just make the pinch gesture anywhere. And I was like, oh, right. This is actually less work than I remember it being. Your eyes are doing all the work, really, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the challenge with any of these things and why I'm so looking forward to people who've spent time with this product outside, and I imagine in the next day or two, we'll probably get a bunch of embargoed reviews. I do not have one, by the way. I will not be doing an embargoed review. I don't have a Vision Pro. Just there's the canary. But I imagine once we start getting people who've gotten them under embargo, um, we will finally have some first first impressions that are not based on the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that Apple is walking you through and controlling everything you see and do. It is that. But it's also that, honestly, there's just a sensory overload. When you're in a thing that you've never been in before or haven't been in for six months, the first 10 or 15 minutes is just... Like I, I can't apply any critical faculty to what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just trying, my brain's just trying to process what it's being sent. Mm -hmm. And it was only the last half of the demo where I started to have like questions about, oh, this is an interesting interaction that they've chosen. Um, Like I noticed only after about 15 minutes, I was like, oh, every time an app wants you to generate a 3d object in space or put you in a immersive space or you know anything like that there's a button to enable it and i i I had that moment where i thought oh this is interesting they are asking and and i asked and they 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 said yes that the one of the best practices of this thing is if you're going to enter a very different kind of mode like an immersive mode or generate an object that it needs to be the user saying uh, let's do this now rather than it just sort of happening. Um, but I was, it took me 15 minutes into it before I, my brain was capable of sort of appreciating interface details just because it's so much. So, so, uh, I, I feel very strongly by the way, that although there will be some embargo reviews in the first few days, uh, next few days, um, this thing is so huge that even if somebody's had it for a week ish, maybe a little less than a week. Yeah. Do I think that those those will be great first tests yep. of first impressions? Yeah. But I'll just say it now: nobody is going to be able to do a complete, comprehensive review of this thing in six days. Even in if they take all six days to use it, the apps aren't even available yet. You can't even get the apps. Right. Exactly. I'm sure that there's and, some you can, but like a lot of stuff that we're going to find to be really cool and maybe interesting use case, it's just they're not available yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, as we've been talking today, I've been getting notes. Obviously, Apple has encouraged people to announce their Vision Pro apps today because I I keep getting emails with more Vision Pro apps in them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and it's more than anything else, it's also a new platform and a new interaction model. Like, I think... I think after, if you spend six days with it, and by the way, when you get a product and you review it, you don't actually spend six days with it. You spend some number of days with it, and then you also have to write your review and capture your video and do all those other things. I think those are all essentially going to be first looks, first impressions. I think it's going to take a long time, and there are so many different angles here that um, there will be much more to say about it from everybody involved. Um, Don't take those first impressions as the be-all, end-all. I think that there's a lot more to um to come because 
it's there's just so much there. There's I I would be if I had been given an embargo and told you've got five days with this, I would be grateful, and I would work very hard to do a first impressions piece about it. But do I think that if I had been given five days with the Vision Pro, I could write a thorough and complete review of the whole experience? I do not, because I think it's too much for that. I think it's too many things. It's gonna take time. But I did I did appreciate seeing the latest state of the art. There are more apps. There are third-party apps. I was able to run, I ran DJ from Algorithm, which is always there at every new Apple um, platform DJ, that happens. DJ Power Slider in the house. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, it was really hilarious me incompetently DJing, but but uh, you it pop out a, a you pop out a 3D turntable. You press that button and a 3D turntable pops out and you stand at the turntable and you can actually use your hands to to uh uh what is it? Uh it's not jogging. It's uh to to scratching. Is that it? Is that what it is? When you take your hand on the on the on the record and go voof, 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 voof. I'm not I'm What's choosing not to help you. <laughs> I'm, What's I'm that enjoy- called? <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Yeah, scratching is what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Anyway, I I did it. Mm-hmm. I did it. You did but, it. But I, I did it. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I said, <laughs> "Where's the Where's the middle aged dad music to choose from here?" And they said, "They don't have that." No there. tears so for fears some, on these decks. I, I picked today? some beeps and boops, uh-huh. and they were beepy and boopy, and that's fine too. I yeah, like I, I've been keeping a an Apple note of apps that I'm seeing like um online, and and I'm I'm like. Like these are ones I want to try, you know. Like I'm just, so I've just got like a a running list of stuff. DJ is one of them, just because I think it's going to be in, well, because one I know they've had a lot of access, right? Because they've been in press releases going all the way back to the beginning. Yes. Um, and so I expect it should be polished when it's released. It should be one of the more pol- and it, but it also is one of the only apps that I've seen anybody talk about. So I was, I was doing some interesting stuff to use your hand to use hand tracking to interact with something that's not a video game. Yeah. Right? So like I I'm intrigued about it for that and I want to try it out for that because yeah. I think it's got it's, it's got it's dials cool. and stuff that yeah. you actually can grab and slide right. too so which I want to try all of that. Will that be the right interface? Is it too skeuomorphic? I I don't know, but it's an interesting experiment and mm-hmm. that's that's why I found it fascinating. They had me watch the Super Mario Brothers movie clip as I mentioned before that they're using in the demos even mm. though freaking avatar did, is did right there we're did like Ma- no no did mario look good what? Did mario look good? L- listen to chris pratt going it looked oh, it looked fine chris it's pratt a 3d animated movie. movie it was great in whatever he was people whatever. didn't like it's it but he was movie. great in that movie uh i have no interest awesome. in watching that movie, movie let me tell awesome. you it's um me. so yeah i yeah he says that uh he, he does a little oh what's a, what's a that uh, and i'm like oh no 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 thank you anyway so i did watch that uh the immersive video looks really great again Boy, I, I, I can't wait to see what they do with that. Those, I saw the clips, but those are all programs in the TV app. So like the Alicia Keys concert where you're where she's singing to you and you're standing there awkwardly saying, but I don't even know you, Alicia. <laughs> Surely somebody more important is in this room. <laughs> Perhaps you should talk to them. <laughs> I should, can I step out of the room now? Um, the whole thing is there and the sharks and the rhinos and like all, there are like programs with that stuff. So that'll be interesting to watch. So, there's a goal from above the, above the, 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 the bar, yeah. the crossbar of the, of the soccer goal. Did you, Oh, so Get good to see the Disney Plus app. I did. Was it good? I did. It's good. Um, so they have they have their own immersive environments that are just in the Disney Plus app. So, like, um, 
you can choose the the scare floor, Tatooine. You're you're actually like in Mos Eisley uh, among. It's almost like you're at the dri- the the land speeder drive in at Mos Eisley is basically where you are. Uh, there's Avengers Tower that's got little and they've dressed it up. Uh, at, you know, they dressed it up like Disneyland. Like the Avengers Tower reminded me so much of the Avengers headquarters at uh, our California Avengers Campus Adventure. at at California mm. Adventure because it's the same thing where it's like it's a set essentially from the Avengers movies, but they've also placed in a very Disney way little objects no. everywhere that are things referring to the Avengers and wait. stuff. Right? I can't. So wait. those are in there. Uh, and you can watch, and then and then they have a bunch of 3D content because they a lot of their movies are in 3D. My my understanding is that when you start to play something, um, I think in the TV app and in the Disney Plus app, this may only be true in one of them. You basically are 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 told there's a 3D version of this. Do you want to watch that? And then you choose that, and then you're watching a 3D if you want movie in you know at the edge of the Avengers Tower. Or um, you know, on the scare floor for Monsters Inc., or you know, or and then when you're in the TV app, Apple's immersive environments are available for that too. But the Disney Plus app, yeah, I was impressed. It shows you the possibilities there. I think the only only thing that I think is funny is that like the environments, the Disney environments are only available in the Disney app, so you can't watch somebody else's movie on the scare floor, right? Yeah, but you get that that's, though, right? That's not allowed. Like I do, I do. And also, I think it's Apple okay. said right that I mean, I hope that they change this in the future. I, I hope it's not like watch faces that like all the environments are theirs. That they're the only ones that you can mix and match apps and environments. It's Apple's environments, right? Right. They're like system wide mm-hmm. environments versus app specific environments. But anyway, Disney did app specific environments, and I saw a couple of them. They were really good. Which I think is great. I'm happy that Disney have done that because I bet that's going to be something that people are really excited about and I hope that it encourages yeah. more companies. I mean, it's quote-unquote easy for Disney because they have like obvious things they can do. Like Some companies are going to struggle with like, what, what is the thing we would put our app in? But there are lots of companies that could do a similar thing, right? Like, you know, insert your favorite franchise here, right? Like, why could you not watch that? You know, like, why could you not watch Lord of the Rings sitting on the top of a hill in New Zealand? Right. You know, or yeah. So, um, the you could also go to New Zealand with your iPhone and do that. By the way, but it would be it's more logistics. It's quite. Ex- I see. Actually, even more expensive than more expensive the than Vision the Vision Pro. Yeah. yeah th- so the fourth item. Um, there's a question in the Discord about you know will watching movies in immersive video fade away and appeal over time. Maybe it's, it is a novelty, but like the fourth Disney location is the is a theater. A movie theater, and what I found is I on the Quest, they have lots of ridiculous things like you can watch in space and stuff. I like the movie theater. You're sitting in the best seat in the house in a movie theater, and then it's got a it's got interactive lighting. So like when the movie is bright, the seats light is on the seats, and when it's dark, there's not lights on the seats. It feels really realistic as being in the context of a movie theater. I am looking forward to testing the Disney movie theater experience and seeing how that is. Because in the end, after you've had your fun in tattoo at the Tatooine drive-in or the Tony Stark drive-in, you know, it might be that the best thing is the really nice movie theater environment Um, or nothing. But um, so I also, among the things that I think is more polished, although I can't decide how much of this is out. I think it's a little bit of both. How much of this is Apple and how much of this is the, well, 
it's all Apple. How much of it is Apple making some feature decisions and how much of it is Apple uh, improving the product since it was, you know, in beta back in June. But um, the the Safari demo where they say, oh, look at that crisp text and the readability, et cetera, et cetera. You remember that, right? I do. I think they've made the fonts bigger. <laughs> hmm. Which is probably good because if the fonts are bigger, everything is going to look crisper in that way. I do think it was crisper, though. I I don't know for sure because I can't compare exactly what I saw six months ago to now or I guess seven months ago to now. Well, here's a question I have for you. Do you feel like it fit you better than the first time? Well, let me let me let me finish this thought, and okay. then I have some thoughts about All that. Right. So, I think the te- text rendering though was crisper and clearer. I think that maybe one of the reasons that I've heard people say, "Oh yeah, I can read in it just fine," where I felt kind of like it didn't, it it wasn't, it was a little muddy back in June. Whatever has happened, it felt like the text was better. But I think that it was also larger. But I do think it was better. Um, fit is a huge one. So, I think in the end that knit band is going to go down in history with like the digital touch on the Apple watch. Cause they had us all wear that knit band. And in June, you remember my re- report about that, right? Which is like my face hurt, my head hurt and I couldn't get comfortable. And I was trying it lower down on the back and higher up. And I was cranking it tighter and cranking it looser and tr- and moving around on my front of my face and just trying to get it to work so that it didn't hurt. And I never did. It really was uncomfortable the entire time I used it. So this time they had me use the dual strap. They didn't even have me. The knit strap was just laying on the table. They had me use the dual strap. And when I put it on, they actually said, oh yeah, you can, you can basically unvelcro it and move it until you get it and you can adjust it to go. Once I got that adjusted, it was fine the whole time. I had no issues whatsoever with comfort. So I don't know. Well, something I wonder about is if you can combine the two. Like, can I use the knit strap with the top part? Because that's what we did at WWDC. It was it was a combo. I They didn't suggest that. They suggested that this is the strap. And I've heard through the grapevine that this is the snap you use for longer experiences. Yeah, that yeah. it's harder to adjust and harder to get into, but it also is much better huh. uh, in terms of a proper fit than than the other thing. Also, people are asking in the in the Discord... Uh, about how it worked. It worked very, I brought my glasses, although actually I sent them, I sent them a prescription in advance, okay. my glasses prescription, which I had because I made an order of ones. Yes. And then they scanned my face there. And then they used that as setup. They used right. the, you know, essentially the same app that they use for the store to scan my face um, for that. And then, and then very nicely at the end, they said, can we save your, personal data for your review unit and i said sure yeah it was nice nice of them to ask but they had because this is a the rare apple product that requires exact measurements so hopefully i will get a review unit at some point don't know when but uh hopefully do you I know will. if the sizing matched what you had scanned that i do not know okay. they didn't tell me so when i get a review unit i will know the size of that and i'll yeah. know if it matched the one that i ordered from the Apple store to come on Friday. So we'll see. But um, but yeah, it felt, I used the dual strap and it felt really good and it was vastly superior. Like I was comfortable wearing it and I couldn't say that in June. Now back in June, I said, look, we couldn't get it right. 
The goal was to get through the demo. It was a very, you know, limited amount of time. I wasn't going to push it. And I'm sure that I would figure out how to be more comfortable down the road. Um, I'm happy to report that that this demo, I didn't have any comfort problems at all. I do wonder too, because they, they specifically tell us at WWDC that they didn't have that many light seals available, like the part that goes in the front of the face. Right. And I wonder if like another component of it, as well as the straps, which I completely understand will cause a massive difference. But like, I wonder if maybe it fit better to your face this time than last time. We don't know the answer to that, but I could imagine that being something. Also, I wanted to mention just a funny thing. They did the spatial video thing. So they showed videos, some of which were very familiar of... Uh, video spatial video shot with Vision Pro, and then they showed a video shot with iPhone 15 Pro, and it made me laugh because it's it's a mom and kids blowing bubbles mm. on like a grassy area. Yeah, and you know why they're blowing the bubbles? It's because the bubbles are in that foreground where you're going to get a 3D effect, and mm-hmm. the, the the 3D effect is really limited on the iPhone because the the distance between the two lenses isn't particularly great. But what made me laugh was. Very clearly, somebody or probably something, a bubble machine, had been placed just off camera to the right. Because while this scene with the kids was going on, a constant stream of (laughs) bubbles was being emitted right in front of me. And I just laughed. And I I actually said to the people in the room, the Apple PR people in the room with me, I said, does it come with a bubble maker off to the right? And they just chuckled. But it's like, you know, because I appreciate like... A lot of the 3D effects, especially on the iPhone, are going to be subtle because of all of the technical reasons. And I just, I appreciate that they're like, nope, we're going to have a bubble machine. Or again, I don't know that for sure. Or a couple of interns frantically blowing bubbles, but there were a lot of bubbles coming from off screen is all I'm saying in order to give that extra effect. Extra to turn on the bubble machine. That's a very old reference. Don't get it. I'm very excited for Friday. I, like I, I don't r- truly know what to expect uh, from having a, an extended period of time with this. Like you know, what is it going to be like when I'm in hour two? <laughs> I don't know. I'm ex- but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about all of the apps that are going to appear. I'm excited to watch an Avengers movie sitting in Avengers mm-hmm. Tower. That's exciting to me. Yeah, we're on the verge of this thing, whatever it's going to end up being. Whatever it is. Yeah. What is it going to be like to prepare for next week's upgrade while wearing it? Because that will be my plan, right? I'll do all my show right. prep wearing it. Sure. Um, what is that going to feel like? How is that going to be? Like, am I going to use my Mac? How much am I going to use my Mac? Oh, I, I typed. Oh. I typed. Okay. I did hand typing where you type with fingers on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. It's kind of dumb, but it works. I type sixcolors.com. How different is it to using like a virtual keyboard and an iPad, like a software keyboard and an iPad? Like, is it very, very different? It's suspended in the air. I'd say it's much slower and it really is. I felt like it was a finger typing experience. However, they said you can also use, and this is a mind bending thing. You can use, you can eye type. Yeah. I don't think Which is you look at a letter and pinch your fingers and look yeah. at a letter and pinch your fingers. I don't recommend that either. Do, can you swipe type? I don't think so. I okay. didn't try, but I, I, I assume not. Maybe. I don't know. I I have real doubts about the precision available on that keyboard. I think the answer is, and, and I did try this too, there is talk to type where there's also a little 
microphone icon that you can look at and tap. Uh, actually, you don't even tap. You look at the microphone icon and then you say words and they come out. That's cool. Right? You don't even have to tap. That's smart because that's going to be your best way to do short field text input is your voice. It's going to be the easiest way to get that that text out. Just a couple of days away. I know. It's 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 amazing. Um I I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. I feel like I, I don't have like a list of like here are the 10 things to do when yeah. I when I put it together. I I think I'm just going to kind of feel my way around. I, I imagine I'll use the built-in apps. Yep. I will finally, all these nice people who put me on their test flights for the Vision OS apps, I'm like, finally, I'll actually be able to use that because yep. uh, I get the updates. It's like, oh, I did a new beta. I'm like, ah, I still don't have it. Um, third-party apps. Uh, then, yeah, it's going to be FaceTime calls and and personas. I'm looking forward to whoever I can persona call with first, right? Like this is oh, going to be man. a race. Who can I persona call with first? That's right. going to be a, that's going to be a train wreck right. in the low. And fun. I want to try to use it with a Mac and yep. and see how that goes. I'm looking forward to 3D um, movies too. Like, uh, oh sure, I'm going to give that sure, a go. I, yeah, they, I was telling a friend who who was visiting this weekend. I said, you know, I'm going to have to do some testing, and he's like, oh, like watch a whole 3D movie. I'm like, yeah, but, yeah. but for my work, I'm going to have to watch a 3D movie for my work, or at least portions of of various 3D movies for my work. That's going to be good. So should I should I ask? I assume you're you've got a a transatlantic flight. Oh, yeah, coming yeah, up? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to America and picking one up on uh, Friday morning, like, All right. and then spending like best part of the week we're we're kind of turning it into a little bit of a vacation too uh mm. and so because you know i've got to make the trips and make the most of it and also it's like one of sure. those things where like i wouldn't want to pick it up on friday then when am i going to leave because i don't want to leave and like arrive and then like mess up all my shows right because i'm all weirded out and jack like because it's a big week right like yeah big week. recording all these shows it's gonna be a big week like this is no matter what as we said before no matter what way this goes it's big content for us and so, like, I want to be on it and ready and raring to go. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited, and mm-hmm. it's gonna be, and I'm, I'm preparing for headaches. <laughs> you know, sure, yeah. Because I'm gonna overuse it. Paracetamol. Right? Like, I will be yes. using this over the first few days more than I assume I would use it on a regular day. That would be my assumption, but we'll find I out. Think that's, I think that's probably right for both of us. That's true. Wow, this is weird. We're, it's like we're, we're, uh, we're, we're holding hands and jumping into a new world together, right? Like this is the last upgrade of this era, and then a new era begins of yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Like I'm, this wild. is one of the reasons I'm so looking forward to this because I, I just don't feel like we've done this anything like this before. No. Right, this just isn't a thing that me and you have gone through in the history of our show. Nearly five hundred episodes, yeah. And like now we're like this thing's about to happen, and we don't really know what to expect from it. And it's going to change the trajectory of the show for an amount of time. I have said to several people over the last week, this is why I got into this yeah business is seeing what new things are before it's ready for everybody else, but getting that glimpse of the future, trying to understand it, trying to communicate what it is, what the issues are, but like the fundamentally, the idea that you are seeing something that is uh, at the edge of what we can make right now. And that might be uh, 
telling us things about what the future is like. Even, you know, that that is, I just think that's really exciting. We'll be there and we'll be back next week where we will have our impressions. Very we exciting. Will. I, I think, yes, we will, won't we? Yep. Wow. Um, just like that. I'm sure that you'll be writing more at sixcolors.com over that time. Sure. I'll be I'll be writing them all with one finger on a little yeah. keyboard. And uh, I'll say for me, I'm going to sure. be planning to post like videos and photos and stuff probably on Instagram. Uh, I'm like, I am YKE of my whole vision quest that I'm going to be going on uh, to pick this nice. thing up. Uh, you can find us on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnl on zeppelin.flights. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on mike.social. You can find video clips of the show on our Mastodon account. We are upgrade at relayfm.social. You can also watch clips of the show there uh, and on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube where we are at upgrade relay. If you would like longer ad-free versions of the show each and every week, go to getupgradeplus.com. This week, we're going to talk about podcast transcriptions in 17.4 and how that makes us feel. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Once more into the breach, Mike. Once more. Here we go. Thank you.